Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Lord, we give thee but thine own. A trust, O Lord, from thee. All that we have is thine, O alone. And we return it now to thee. Amen. So some of you are wondering, where's the big guy? (laughs) What happened to the big guy? I'm a a little bit short of that. But, you know, uh, Willie and I were introduced to this church back in January. Uh, We were attending another large church in the community. And I got a call Friday afternoon from Pastor Kurt. And he said, I hear you're new in town, and I hear that you preach. And I said, well, I just happened to have a fresh sermon that I gave in Mexico a couple weeks ago. Well, he says, I was tested positive for COVID, and I can't come. Will you preach? So uh, that was Friday afternoon, 3 o'clock. And we showed up Sunday morning. And the family at Naples Community Church was over-the-top friendly, warm, friendly, appreciative, loving, embracing. And it was such a powerful experience. So. Uh, We had lunch the following week with Kurt downtown. And then Willie and I said, we need to come back next Sunday. Number one, to hear the preacher, the real preacher. And uh, secondly, to see if people are just as friendly when I'm not the guest speaker. (laughs) So we came back, and you were all even more friendly, appreciative, loving, warm. And uh, we, we just felt so at home here. And we got in the car. I was wondering how I was going to tell Willie, I really like this church. We get in the car, and I start the motor, and Willie says, Wayne, we need to switch churches. (laughs) (laughs) And we've been coming ever since. And uh, uh, tribute to this uh, great church. So thank you. We're so appreciative of this. And some of you know I've gone through some very significant uh, medical challenges in the last couple months. And it was like God ordained for us to be here because we needed the support of a couple hundred people praying for us and praying for a divine miracle, and God came through. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Our scripture today is uh, two verses uh, from Paul the Apostle, written from prison, towards the end of his life. And uh, the first is Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I press on to possess that completion for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the end of the race to receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling me. And then a letter that Paul wrote to his protege, young Timothy, that he called my son. Paul saw Timothy as Paul knew that he was about to die and Timothy was going to take his place. And he said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now a prize awaits me 
the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day of his return, and the prize not just for me, but for all those that love his appearing. This is the very word of God. And uh, Lord, would you guide us into your truth? Would you help us to put it into our hearts and lives that we might serve you more effectively? I'm originally from Minnesota. I know we have a lot of Minnesotans that come down here, especially starting this time of the year. Every year I came through here, our ministry business came through Naples. We loved, uh, loved Naples, never thought we'd live here someday. But uh, for better or worse, I'm a lifelong fan of the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> I know, yeah. One, one guy told me when he died, he wanted some Vikings players to be his pallbearers, pallbearers so he could one more time be let down by the Vikings. <laughs> But uh, the Minnesota Vikings have, have, have this reputation of losing games in the fourth quarter. You know, we get all built up, they're going to win this game, they're going to win this game, and then in the fourth quarter they blow it. So their reputation was well-deserved. It happened one fateful day at, uh, at TCF Bank Stadium when the Vikings hosted the Seattle Seahawks. It was a wild-card game. The Vikings went into the fourth quarter leading 9-zip. Vikings nine, Seahawks zero. Seahawks scored 10 points in the fourth quarter. So it was 10-9 and uh, three seconds left in the game. The Vikings still had a chance to win. They had the ball on the 27th yard line, three seconds left, a field goal would win the game. So they all lined up and watched Blair Walsh's 27 yard field goal attempt sail away and veer to the left and they lost by a final score of 10 to nine. So the plight of Vikings. However, under coach Mike Zimmer, things started to change. Under Mike Zimmer, the Vikings did not blow a fourth quarter lead over the, la the 42 games that he was coaching. 42 games, they never blew a fourth quarter lead. The Vikings did not blow a fourth quarter lead in the past five seasons. Bottom line, games are won and lost in the fourth quarter, right? Now, for those of us that are looking at this room, many of us are in the fourth quarter of our lives. I am. That is if I live to be 100. Both my grandpas live to be 94, so counting on that. But I want to ask you, what does your fourth quarter look like? What are you doing in your fourth quarter to win the game, not lose? My friends, I hear my friends saying, I can't believe I'm this old. Or, is this really me? Uh, people, my friends say, well, nobody calls me anymore. I don't have any appointments. I don't get phone calls, hardly any emails. I have more free time. So how are you, men and women, doing in your fourth quarter of your lives? Are you de determined, as Don so beautifully sang, that you would be found faithful and that those that come behind you would call you faithful. Are you determined to finish well and finish strong? Dr. Robert Clinton is a professor at Fuller Seminary in uh, California. He uh, researched the lifelong development of Christian leaders, and he identified leaders in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the early church, and today's Christian leaders, and he found out shockingly that 30% of leaders, Christian leaders, do not finish well. 
Are you surprised at that? Three out of 10 leaders do not finish well. 70% fell short of God's plan and a strong finish. A friend of mine teaches at Moody Bible Institute. He teaches leadership, and he tells his class, look around the room. Only a third of you will finish well. Which of you are going to finish well? He tells that to people in their 20s. So Clinton identified Old Testament, New Testament, church history, and current leaders. What are the things that prevent leaders from finishing strong? You may know some of these. Misuse of money. Can you think of some that you've heard of in the news? Christian leaders that misuse money. The abuse of power. The power hungry, control. Three, pride. Self-centeredness, narcissism. Four, sexual misconduct. Moral failure. Five, family dissension or unresolved conflicts that cause them to leave. Six, complacency. Just same old, same old, and get complacent and get tired of this. Or seven, loss of personal integrity. So look at some of the Bible heroes. Abraham, he started out in the desert, sheep herder, ended up being the father of a great nation. Finish weak or finish strong? Finish strong. Um, what about Joseph, the young man, spoiled kid, mama's favorite, ended up being thrown in a well, sold into, sold into slavery, accused uh, falsely of immorality, ended up being second in command in Egypt. Finish poorly or finish strong? Finish strong. Samson, big strong guy, was uh, parents told him, don't drink any wine, don't cut your hair, he's gonna be strong, he's gonna save Israel. But he got involved in some strange relationships. Uh, you know the story of Samson and Delilah. And she ultimately ended up cutting his hair. And it wasn't a $50 haircut either. It was finish badly or finish well? Bad, bad. He ended up tearing down the temple and killing a lot of the enemy. Um, how about David, King David? Talented young man, musical, poet, great leader, probably the greatest king Israel has ever had. But have you read the end of his life? He, got, he uh, stayed behind the battle lines. He, instead of being out with his troops in the battle, he stayed behind. He saw a beautiful young woman, committed adultery, had her husband killed as a cover-up? Finish well or finish badly? He finished badly. Solomon, his son, smartest, wisest man in the world. And people were coming from all over the world for his wisdom, and he amassed a fortune. Uh, my nephew out in, in the farmland of northern Minnesota said he had uh, six wives and 100 combines and uh, concubines. <laughs> Stay with me on some of these. <laughs> and uh, soon worshiping foreign gods, finish well or finish bad? Finish bad, yeah. King Saul, he was, uh, you know, this is back, back before uh, David, tall guy, stood out among his peers, stood out, brilliant warrior, first king of Israel, but he began to... Uh, kind of lose things. He got jealous of David, tried to kill him, pursued him. Uh, he made some mistakes out in the battlefield, took on the role of not only a king, but a priest. 
And eventually the Spirit of God left him. Finish well or finish bad? Finish bad. Uh, another Saul in the New Testament, he was killing Christians. He was an avid, rabid uh, member of the Jewish sect, and he went out to arrest and imprison and kill Christians. On the way to Damascus to find more Christians to jail and kill, he met the Savior in a dramatic encounter on the road to Damascus. And he turned around completely, ended up being the greatest missionary evangelist in the history of the church. Finish badly or finish well? Finish well. Well, those are just a few. Peter, Peter, let's take another one. Peter was a fisherman, just a humble, rough, and he denied his Lord. And he argued with Jesus. But after Jesus rose from the dead, he spoke and 3,000 people came to Christ on that day of Pentecost. Finish badly or finish well? He finished well, and there's hope for all of us. No matter how we start, no matter how we live, in our fourth quarter, we can kick that field goal and finish well. So what are some of the factors of fishing well, finishing well? Well, uh, Bobby Clinton says this, one, effective leaders continue to grow. They continue to grow in their disciplines and develop a godly life. They don't just coast along. Well, I've done this for 70 years. This is easy. I'm going to make it. Continual growth. Second, continual spiritual renewal, that we renew ourselves each and every day in God's word and in prayer. And third would be mentoring. And that gets back to the song again, that those who come behind us would find us faithful, that we are investing in the next generation. We had Dr. Bob Peterson here a couple of weeks ago. He has a ministry called The Legacy Imperative, training grandparents on how to mentor and influence their grandchildren and influence the next generation. We, in this season of our life, can be mentoring. I had a mentor in my life. His name was Paul Ramser, and he was the manager of the radio station I worked at. He was not only my boss, but he was my mentor. He was the guy that said, Wayne, are you spending time with God? How are you doing in your career? How's your marriage? And eventually he became my very, very best friend. In my ministry career, I gathered five other national Christian leaders around me. We met every month for lunch. We still meet every month after 25 years uh, that provided accountability for me. And during those 25 years, each of us has gone through some kind of a trial or tribulation. And we, uh, the one guy of the group gave me his card and says, here's my card. Call me even at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'll be there for you. Jessica Diggins is an American cross-country skier. And I want to tell you, if you want to do cross-country skiing, pick a small country. Because (laughs) she's an American cross-country skier, and she won the first ever cross-country skiing gold medal for the United States in the Winter Olympics 2016. Uh, Dustin, I want to have us look at this. This is where Diggins excels, over the top of the hill, but she's gassed. She needs to push a little bit, but she gets forced wide by Stina Nielsen and into third spot. Can she come back on the downhill? She's at the best skis down the hill. Oh, stay on your feet! At the stadium, Diggins 
Diggins with two fifth place finishes, one sixth. So close for the U.S. on so many occasions. Now moving up on the inside, in the second place. They're all completely gassed. They've given it everything on the global block. And Steven Nelson leading Jesse Diggins into the final turn. Can Diggins answer? As the roars rattle around the cross-country stadium in Pyeongchang, Sweden, the U.S. and Norway coming to the line. Here comes Diggins. Here comes Diggins. Diggins making the play around Sweden. Jesse Diggins yes. to the line. Yes. And it is yes. Jesse Diggins oh. delivering a landmark moment that will be etched in U.S. She went on to win a number of other uh, medals and became the most decorated American cross-country skier of all time. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Ken Larson, who uh, owns a bunch of furniture stores in the Midwest, uh, Slumberland stores, some of you may know them. Uh, uh, Slumberland is a sponsor for Jesse Diggins. And he asked her one time, when you collapse at the end of the race like that, is, just, is that just for show? Did you just collapse and is that just drama? She said, Mr. Larson, if I have anything left at the end of the race, I've not run my best race. You give it all. If and I've not given my all, I've not run my best race. Uh, Bob Buford was a high-level TV executive and he owned a bunch of TV stations. In his mid-40s, he decided it wasn't all about acquiring TV stations and making money. And uh, he cut his work schedule in half to devote more time to family, to meaningful things, and to the purpose that God designed him for. He wrote a book called Halftime, Moving from Success to Significance. There's a difference. There's a difference between success and significance. Martin Luther, who uh, were, this is Reformation Sunday, obviously we sing this great hymn. It's remarkable when Luther died, he didn't die in one of the great cities like Wittenberg. He died in his hometown, in his humble, uh, humble town of Eisenach, where he delivered his first sermon. Luther wanted to serve God wherever and however he could. And not even a very serious disease could keep him from serving and preaching the gospel in his small town church. His lifestyle was one in which he said, it is not about my pleasure, but about pleasing God. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily besets us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So, I watch the time. Oh, yeah, we're good. I can tell a few more stories. <laughs> What's your legacy? What's your legacy going to be? How are you going to be remembered? No one at the end of their life says, I wish I had spent more time at the office. What's your legacy? Legacy can't be money. Some of you have read financial books by Ron Blue, who says, I've never seen money transferred to the next generation well. After only two years, 
only 17% have anything left. After two years, there's nothing left. Uh, another friend of mine who's a financial planner says the average inheritance, whether large or small, the average, it's gone in 18 months. Average, large or small. So if, if, if our only legacy is in money, it's maybe not worth it. What do you want people, to, this is kind of gross, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? What do you want them to say? <laughs> a friend of mine says, well, I want them to come and say, I think he's moving. <laughs> but if you'll notice, no funerals mention cars or wardrobes or houses. Most funerals speak of the person's integrity, their love for God, and their tender witness. I like what one man, a wealthy man, wrote in his will, and all the relatives came to gather to the reading of the will, and he said this, I leave to my posterity an inheritance that will not need to be divided. This is an inheritance I can leave to each member of my family in full, my love for Christ and the blessings of his manifold grace in my life for all these years. So. Another way of asking this, what would you say to a younger version of yourself if you could give advice to yourself at age 20? <laughs> Think about that. What would you say? Uh, would you ask, what's a person with a depth of character? Uh, what's it like to be a person who loves God and his word? Would you talk about the qualities of being self-controlled? worthy of respect, sensible, sound in the faith, sound in love, sound in endurance. The book of Ecclesiastes says the end of a matter is more important than the beginning. And, you know, I started out growing up on a dairy farm in northern Minnesota. It's not glamorous. You're pitching hay, you're shoveling grain, you're... Uh, plowing and mowing and feeding the cattle and shoveling out from behind them if you get the drift. It's not glamorous. Those cows have to be milked twice a day, 365 days a year. And we were poor, but we had everything that we needed. And today, God has blessed that we get to live in Naples comfortably. And, you know, you look at the end from the beginning, God sees the end. It's never too late, guys. It's never too late to make a difference, to eat healthy, exercise, join the blue zone. Never too late to start doing some stuff, to learn new skills and new disciplines, to improve your marriage. Uh, what if this is a season that you could make your marriage what you intended it to be back when you were really in love and engaged? <laughs> it's not too late to invigorate your marriage, to cuddle, to send love notes, Hold hands, pray together, bring flowers. It's not too late to invigorate marriage. Singles that are not in a marriage relationship, it's not too late to encourage your peers, to mentor a younger person. Uh, Paul talks in Titus about older men should mentor younger men. Older women should teach younger women. That's something we can all do, either identify peers around us that need encouragement or younger people around us that need the wisdom in our years. 
Eugene Peterson, the uh, translator of the Message Bible, wrote another book, and the title says it all, The Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Our lives are not a sprint. They're a marathon. And how are you going to cross that finish line? Uh, when I turned 60, I ran the Chicago Marathon in 07. Uh, it's in October. Usually the middle of October, um, it's about you know 50 degrees, ideal running weather, a little breeze off Lake Michigan. Uh, this October 15th, it was 92 degrees. 26.2 miles on the hot asphalt, high humidity. Of the 40,000 runners, 10,000 finished. The water stations were running out of the water, uh, running out of water. Uh, I was at mile 22 when they shut down the race. And uh, people can, they told us that we're there, you can finish, but walk, don't run. If you run, you'll be arrested. So I dragged my sorry body. I was walking half the time anyway, and it wasn't pretty, but I crossed the finish line and got the medal. And I was so happy to just say, my one and only marathon, I'll never do it again, <laughs> that I was able to cross the finish line. <clears throat> I define career in, uh, in stages. In stage one, we're workers. We, we're worker bees. We're doing the stuff. We're hands-on. In the radio business, Faulkner, you know this, I was playing the music, reading the news, turning on the transmitter, uh, putting things away, doing the weather, you're hands-on. And then I became station manager. And then you manage the station through others. Other worker bees are on the air, reading the news, playing the records, doing the weather. And uh, after management comes leadership, where you're called upon not just to manage, but to lead uh, the ministry or the business. Where are we going? What's our passion? What's our strategy? What's our direction? Creating a culture. Uh, I'm no longer leading a large ministry, a large organization. And the fourth season of our career is influence. You may not be running a business. You may not be getting phone calls and emails and call the meetings, but you can be an influence. When you're old and gray, people think you're smart. <laughs> yeah. Too early old and too late smart. <laughs> but people will come, and if you Garner those relationships with peers, but especially with the next generation. Uh, I do have people calling, hey, Wayne, I need some help on this. Can you tell me? I've got this situation. We can move from worker to manager to leader to influencer. And in this season of our life, have the greatest influence we've ever had, not in spite of our old, but because of our age. People can come to us for advice. Ecclesiastes 9 said, the race is not always won by the swiftest. The battle is not always won by the strongest. Prosperity does not always belong to those who are the wisest. Wealth does not always belong to those who are the most discerning, nor does success always come to those with the most knowledge. So let me wrap this up a bit right now. Number one, <clears throat> we all need to come to grips with finishing well. Uh, leaving the doctor's office back in late June, I was diagnosed with a rare, threatening form of cancer, a cancer of the appendix. You probably never heard of it because it's rare, only one in 10 million men. 
get cancer of the appendix. The doctor referred us to an oncological surgeon who said, this is way above my pay grade. Another doctor says, I've never even heard of this. By a series of miracles, we got into MD Anderson in Houston. MD Anderson does only cancer. Uh, it sounded dire. It would be a surgery where they would go in, take out the appendix, take out the spleen, and go in through all the organs and the intestines and the bowels and the, and, uh, the colon to see if there's any, if the spread of the cancer. It was gonna be a 10 or 12 hour surgery. Willie was sitting in the waiting room. They opened up and, oh, and then the last part, they pour chemo into the abdominal cavity to, uh, to kill any uh, uh, tumors they couldn't find. Well, they went in, they removed the, uh, our appendix is about the size of this. The uh, tumor was the size of a baseball. They removed the appendix, they removed the spleen that was covered with this tumor material. Uh, they removed the mucus that had spread throughout the body, but it was not cancer. That was, well, that comes later. They found no additional spread of cancer in the organs. They still did the chemo, uh, chemo wash, sewed me up, and they said you'd be 10 days in the hospital for recovery, two weeks in Houston to make sure it's okay. The surgery was, what, five hours? Six hours, they came to Willie, said this is the best possible op outcome. We had people at Naples Community Church praying specifically that from the time of the diagnosis to the time of the surgery, the cancer would be gone. God answered that prayer in miraculous ways. When we were discharged from the hospital, eight days later, the surgeon came in excitedly and said, here's the pathology report, the lowest possible grade of tumor. He didn't say it wasn't cancer, he couldn't say that. We believe it wasn't cancer because the Naples Community Church family prayed. So, now, it doesn't always turn out that way. The doctor said it doesn't always end this way. And I don't know why God sometimes chooses to heal and sometimes not. My wife, Norma, passed away of ovarian cancer eight years ago. We prayed just as fervently for her, and she was taken home. I don't understand God's mysterious ways of working. I'm so grateful. But it does bring you to the issue of your own mortality, doesn't it? When you walk out of that doctor's office with that diagnosis, your world suddenly changed. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasure and shouts to us in our pain. Come to grips that when I finish this journey, I'm going to die. My days are numbered. I don't know what that number is. How do I make them count for the Lord? Reflect and cherish on the years gone by, but embrace the amount of sand still in the hourglass and leave a legacy of love, passion, and integrity. And what I like to say, avoid the words, if only, or I wish. If only doesn't work. I wish doesn't work. Avoid those words. A great missionary statesman said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So let me reword the, the, the words. I notice you don't have a clock up here for that. That's dangerous. <laughs> Reword the, revisit the words of Paul. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the Lord of righteousness, will reward to me on that day, and not only to me, 
but also to all that have longed for his appearing. He also said, no, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it yet, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God is calling us upward. I want to leave this one final note that I can't give this message without saying something very important. You can be a person of passion, of love, integrity, good works, good deeds. That's not going to get you into heaven. Good deeds will not get us into heaven, no matter how good we are. We're not good enough to attain God's standard, which is perfection. But we have a Savior, a Savior who lived the perfect life without sin, a Savior who died on the cross to take our sinfulness upon himself. And we can be declared the righteousness of God as we come to him and repent of our sins, receive his forgiveness by faith, receive being clothed in his righteousness, and have the promise that based on the grace of God through Jesus Christ, we will live with God forever in heaven. That's the bottom line. Have you come to the place in your life that you have confessed your sin, repented of your need of forgiveness, repented of your need of a savior, and received him by faith as your savior from sin, accepting his righteousness. He is the only savior from sin. Martin Luther knew that. All his good works weren't good enough until he found that it's the group for, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. My prayer for all of you is that you would be ready for that final journey and that arriving you would hear our Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Our loving Father, thank you for your word which teaches us how to live. Thank you for your son who showed us how to live. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives within our hearts to renew and regenerate and encourage. Lord, we claim all that you have done for us, all you have given to us. May our fourth quarter be the best season of our lives as we live and walk with you, as we influence others, as we make a difference in the next generation. And may we look forward with joy, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's to hearing those words from our Savior. Well done, good and faithful servant. In the name of your Son, our Savior, we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.